And so as, as we look at this text together, let me just tell you how this, uh, this sort of sermon is going to break down. Typically, my preference is to preach narrative-type sermons, but this text doesn't really lend itself to that. So I'm going to be a little more systematic, a little less biblical theology, a little more systematic theology as we sort of attack this passage together. So there's going to be one-part structure and then three-part responsibilities as we consider eldership. And that's where we are. Uh, Dylan, if you would go ahead and throw up the little triumvirate slide. This is what we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks. If all you have is a Bible and you're asked the question, what does the structure of the church look like? It doesn't matter if you looked at it in the Old Testament, if you look at it in the New Testament, no matter where you look in God's word, you are going to find a structure that looks like this. Now, we could change some things around, and I'll explain what I mean by that in just a minute. But in God's church, we have three different groups. We have members, folks who are in the family, covenant believers, that would be the M, and then Alongside those people, we have deacons. Deacons are called to be leading servants. They set an example for the whole congregation and the way that they are served, typically appointed to deal with a need that has arisen in that particular body of Christ. And then the authority, the leadership, sort of the the overseeing and the long-term vision, that rests in a group called elders. Now, the reason this gets a little complicated is because people have grabbed biblical terms, they have redefined them, and then uh, sort of run with it that way. So let me explain. Deacons, we've kind of talked about last week, members would be anyone in the family, but the Bible uses the term elder interchangeably in the New Testament with the following words. Elder, shepherd, pastor, overseer. All of these words are are used interchangeably in the New Testament. Now, if all you have is a Bible, that's what you're going to read. We've got elders as servant leaders, deacons as leading servants, and a congregation, a family, a body that is built around the truth of the gospel. Now, as we dig into this, it's important for us to remember church leadership is designed by God, not designed by man. It's not our invention. We don't have veto rights to what we see in God's word. We don't get to impose our culture, our opinions, our perspective, even our experiences of what has worked and what has been a failure in our own lives. No, God designed the church's leadership to generously display his glory. This is why, flip back to that little triumvirate, this is why you will see this little structure all over the Bible. Consider this. If I were to take E, M, and D off, and I were to put F, S, and H, S up there, everybody probably knows what I'm referring to. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, interestingly enough, we see a very similar leadership structure even in the Godhead. This is how Acts chapter 1 puts it. So when they had come together, they asked him, they were speaking to Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus is healing the blind and he's bringing people back from the dead. And his followers look at him and they say, it must be time for the kingdom of God to be ushered in. But notice what Jesus says here. He says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Even Jesus himself, in condescending and becoming like one of us, looks at the Father and says, that is where the authority lies. We see this in the family as well. 1 Corinthians 11.3. 
But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. So if you are a believer, more than anything else, you should be led by the good shepherd who is Jesus. The head of a wife is her husband and, notice this, hitting the Trinity again, and the head of Christ is God. So we can take this same little triumvirate structure and apply it to the Bible's perspective on the family, and we can see the husband, we can see the wife, and we can see the children. Now, in the family, they are all equally family, all dignified, all created in the image of God with the exact same amount of value, and yet called to different roles and responsibilities according to Scripture. The husband's job to oversee, to lead, when Adam fell into sin in the garden, when Eve fell into sin, God doesn't sit down with both of them eye to eye. No, he goes to Adam first because he was the one who failed. We also see this in John 14, 26. But the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Just pause there. Do you see the whole Trinity put together? The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send. The Father is the one who is overseeing this. He is going to send the Holy Spirit in the name of the Son. And he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. God's designs are timeless. It doesn't matter if we're in North Africa today or if we're in North Africa 2,000 years ago or 10,000 years ago. If we were somehow able to go back to when the Holy Spirit was hovering over the chaotic waters of creation, you would see the same structure that God calls us to display in our families, that God calls us to display in the church because God's designs are timelessly built ultimately to build up as much glory as he can receive. And that is the most impressive thing. If you've ever been impressed by someone, it's usually because they're very good at doing a thing. I don't know how much research you guys have done on music. I don't know what you're necessarily into, but I was reading a book a couple of years ago on the Beatles. And they said the reason that the Beatles became the stars that they became had nothing to do with their talent, believe it or not. There were lots of people that were talented. What was interesting about the Beatles was they got started when they were 14 years old. And when other people were going to college or doing this, that, and the other, the Beatles were going and traveling so that by the time they were in their early 20s, they had thousands and thousands more hours of expertise in producing and putting together music than anyone else in their age bracket. So everybody looked at them and said, these guys are insane. These guys are special. If you can do the same thing. Watch somebody with a Rubik's Cube. It's the dude who has not put the thing down since he was seven years old. They can do it with one hand or in a bag or whatever. It is impressive when we see someone who has been doing the same thing over and over again. That is the structure of God. Now, when it comes to elders, we see three primary responsibilities. Calling, competency, and character. I'm gonna leave these up because I know that some of you guys are note takers and this is important. So here's the deal. Some of you are at Mitchell and you may never be here again. So glad that you're here, excited to be in God's word with you, want you to hear the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of you are gonna be here for a long time, right? We're gonna get annoyed with each other and irritated with each other and it's gonna be great and we're gonna show grace to one another. Some of you are gonna be here for a stint and you're gonna PCS out, you're gonna get a new job, tears and all those kinds of things. But this is what I want you to realize, I don't care what words come before the name church. What I care is that if this is the only time I talk to you in my entire life, or if I spend the rest of my life talking to you, you know what God wants his church to look like, because that is the best thing for your soul. 
And it is the best thing that I can give you as we work through this text together. Elders are called, competent, and they have character. Those would be the big three. If you don't like C's and you want to go with A's, they have authority, ability, and authenticity. Whichever one of those hits you so that you're going to remember it better, just dig that down. So let's start with the first one. Elders are called by God. Go ahead at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, one, uh, there, I have two favorite parts in the sermon and neither of them have come yet. One is when we talk about whether or not this is a role that women are called to in scripture. I love awkward, I love contentious. And after we talked a little bit about gender roles two weeks ago, people were like, yeah, but should women teach? Can women preach? And I was like, well, hold on, y'all just have to wait two weeks. And I didn't think about the fact it was gonna be Labor Day. So now people are gonna ask me a whole bunch of questions. I'm gonna have to redo this sermon over 18 lunches, but whatever, y'all can help me with that. You can say, this is Will's opinion. I don't know if I agree with it, but this is Will's opinion and the elder's opinion. By the way, this is an issue that churches do not have to divide over, but I'm going to give you what we at Midtree think is healthy and biblical and the reasons behind it. I do want you to notice that it says he when it's, when it's pointing to an elder there. But bigger than that, in this moment, when we think about the calling of an elder, just notice this. It is a noble task. Being an elder, it, it does not say it is an enjoyable task. It does not say, man, this is going to be the thing that you're so excited that you decided to spend your life going after. Noble tends to have this connotation of sacrifice. It tends to have this connotation of people are kind of looking and being like, man, that dude was really serious about this thing, and that's kind of impressive. That's what's tucked into this. This is not an easy thing, but the Bible says, man, if, if you are in this room feeling this desire to, to lead, ultimately because you realize that the way the church operates is the face of Christ, the hands of Christ, then an elder is someone who looks at the congregation and says, I love them and I'm never going to love them so much that I'm going to leave them where they are. Because we will never arrive as a church. No church arrives as a church because it's made up of people. And no people arrive. If any of you guys were perfect, you'd be gone right now. God has left you here for your sanctification and your development. And elders desire the best for God's glory in Christ's name, which means they desire that their churches would be the best expression of the character and not a caricature of God. I think this idea of calling is really hit home in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2. So I exhort the elders among you. This is a little passage written just to those in leadership of a church. Elder, overseer, shepherd, pastor. And that word exhort means to strongly urge. This is what your mom said before you did something that she thought was questionable but didn't want to shame you before you did it. I am strongly urging you not to miss curfew tonight because you don't know this, but your dad and I had a conversation two nights ago and he's ready to drop the hammer, take the keys, not pay your car insurance. So I am strongly urging you to hear my heart in this for your own good. And when God is speaking to the leaders of his church, he says, I am strongly urging, I am calling the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I, I don't have this in my notes, but I really love that that is among you. 
I, I think it, there is a lot of pressure in today's day and age for a church to be considered successful based on its size. And can I just tell you what I think is successful? I think people who have committed to Christ and have committed to one another and are living their lives in community, wanting to be on mission for the gospel, that is the win. And if we, if we outsource the idea that healthy church is big church, we are really setting a horrible example for our brothers and sisters in the underground church that are holding on to a few pieces of scripture and are praying for the eight people that are around them. And can I tell you, some of those churches may be some of the most beautiful churches that are held up in glory once we get to heaven as some of the greatest pastors, the ones who never have a podcast, the ones whose messages are never recorded, the flock that is among you. End of soapbox. Sorry, I wasn't expecting that. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I was reading this with a buddy in a car uh, throughout the week, and I just started laughing. I was like, what kind of shameful gain are we talking about? Can I just tell you, being an elder does not like come with a paycheck, that being a, a leader of a church does not come with a vacation home, it doesn't come with a car. And then my buddy was like, yeah, but it does if you're in some churches. And I was like, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, if we are going after the type of leadership in, in our church that Christ is calling us to, it's gonna be sacrificial. It's not about getting the car or getting the plane or getting to this. Those who are are called to lead at this church are going to be leading as servants, which is beautiful because there's no politicking. There's no, hey, can somebody put my name in for this office? Would somebody bring this up? No, 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 no. It's people looking at who is serving their tails off, people who are praying, people who are uh, considering the good of others, people who love their Bibles. This isn't a group of guys who are trying to prove that they're good enough because they realize what grace is. There's no gain tucked into this on this side of eternity. And then finally, I, I would just say, elders who are called to lead are called to lead a congregation. And what I mean by that quite simply is what we see in God's word is neither a dictatorship nor a democracy. Now, we, we think democracy is the big win, and don't get me wrong. Democracy is a beautiful thing, and we're watching in Afghanistan what happens as we squeeze more democracy out and we push more dictatorship in. But can I just tell you, God is not interested in his vote versus yours. He is God. And when he is God, as he always is, what he says matters, full stop, end of sentence, hard, period. And the leadership that God has instilled in his church is not a democracy. Everything is not a vote. We needed a new bookkeeper because Mary was going to retire. We don't have a members meeting about that because we have a group of elders who, who have sought out a, another group of people on a finance team to make decisions. But before there is a guy who is gonna stand up in front of you as a pastor, as a shepherd, as an overseer, every one of you vote that person in or out because that's what we see when, when garbage happens in the family of God, everybody, according to Scripture, I'm not saying this is how it really plays out, but according to Scripture, if we look at Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 2, everybody does not look at an elder. They don't look at a senior pastor. They all circle up, they look inside, and they say, how do we love this person who is struggling? How do we love this person who is straying? How do we care for this person who is walking away? So the church may be led by elders but it was bought by Jesus. So at best, an elder is a steward. Acts 20, 28. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's our turn. Elders, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Elders lead by following Christ's lead. They should be the most sacrificial amongst us. That is their calling. The second thing that we'll see is competency. Elders competently guard the gospel of Christ. 1 Timothy 3, verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. The list goes on and on and on, but then we hit this one phrase, able to teach. Now, there are three places in God's word that say this is what an elder is supposed to look at. Look like 1 Peter 5, Titus 2, and 1 Timothy 3. This is a chart. Go ahead and throw that up for me if you would. This is a chart uh, right out of the ESV study Bible. I don't know how well you guys can read this. Um, But on the left-hand side, we have 1 Timothy. On the right-hand side, we have Titus. These are all of the characteristics that we see true of elders, except notice one thing. Those two in black, able to teach and able to give instruction. What's fascinating about this is if you take those two, uh, those two that I have highlighted in black and you remove them, it is almost identical to what God calls deacons to be, the leading servants of the church, which every one of us, old to young, male to female, new believer to seasoned believer, should try to have all of these characteristics. But then all of a sudden, right in the middle, we have a competency. Make sure you're tracking with me. It's all character, 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 character. And then, in referring to elders, competency in one primary place. How do they handle the word of God. It does not say this person has to have a doctorate. It does not say that this person has to go to seminary. In in fact, let's be quite honest. The disciples did not, and they were some of the dullest people on the planet when it comes to their ability to conceive of what was happening around them. Like Jesus is laying it out, and before he goes to the cross, they're like, I just don't get this thing. I don't know how it's all going to play out. And Jesus is like, man, I have told y'all so many. I don't know how Jesus put up with them. I I always wonder, like I always thought in heaven, the disciples were going to be like on this upper stool or this upper level, and they were going to have a long line. I'll be honest with you. I, I wonder if the disciples aren't middle of the pack by the time we get to heaven. And Jesus is like, no, like some of these people really got it. They really had faith. And the disciples are like, man, I just want to go hang out with that pastor who was in Vietnam. Like that's who I want to go and hang out with. But here's what we see. Elders are called to be competent in the word of God. Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. Being able to teach is the only non-character trait that moves us toward a job description in the entire framework of the house of God. And the one thing that we see is it is somebody who knows, loves, prays, and can teach their Bible. There's a, a great commentary called Exalting Jesus. And I don't know who to credit for this quote because David Platt and Aiken and Tony Marita all wrote the book. So I don't know who to give credit. So I'm gonna give them all credit. Here's what they say. We don't follow elders or pastors simply because they have a position. We follow them because they know the word, they teach the word, and they follow the word. I would add in, if I were invited to be an editor into this commentary, and they're willing to rebuke people according to God's word. 
This is really one of the things that Americans need most to recognize. We love to, to get online and to find voices that support whatever position we have. We feel better about ourselves not being alone. And let's just be honest. You can pick any position that you want and you will be able to find support somewhere online. But what the Bible says is the men who are leading the church need to be willing to lovingly, gently get eye to eye and say, brother, sister, I think what you're doing is wrong. And I'm telling you this not because I'm angry with you or I'm frustrated or you've made my life hard. I love you. And I know what happens if you stay on this road of unrepentance or sin or brokenness. That's what they are called to be. So let's jump into fun section number one. Can women be elders according to Scripture? We're going to crowdsource this. I'm going to get everybody to stand up if you think. I'm just kidding. I realize that for most of you, I'm preaching to the choir here. And if any of you have gone through the membership class, I try to talk people out of joining the church. I talk about our perspective on baptism. I talk about our perspectives on homosexuality. I talk about our perspectives on male and female and gender. And I talk about our perspectives on uh, predestination and election and all of those kinds of things. And I do that on day one if people are visiting the church and they're like, hey, I want to know more about the church. I'm like, let me talk you out of joining. Because if you can make it through this little gauntlet, you're going to feel very cozy. But this is the other thing that I love. You don't have to believe this. You do not have to agree with me, but let me give you why I believe elders are biblically called to be men. First thing that I would say is the Bible is not scared to challenge norms. Never has been, never will be. God is not worried about cultural sensitivity. He designs culture. What we see in scripture is the Bible go after race and racism. There is not now neither Jew nor Gentile, and in an exceedingly racist culture, Jesus says, no, not in my kingdom. In a world that has always gone after what glitters and money, Jesus steps in and he says, well, time out. Consider the fact whatever you are buying is going to rust, and moths are going to come in and are going to destroy it, unless you send forward and build up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Has no problems talking about homosexuality. Is willing to deal with Slavery and talk about the fact that that was never in God's design and yet tell Christians how to operate in a government that pushes a slavery perspective. The Bible pushes for women to be educated and learn long before that was culturally acceptable. Humility and service are at the forefront of the biblical narrative and yet in Greece and Rome, those were some of the lowest characteristics that a person could have. The Bible pushes against government when it is evil and pushes toward government when it is righteous. Telling the Hebrew midwives that it was good of them to lie to Pharaoh. The Bible told them that lying was good because they were preserving the lives of God's people by doing so. And yet Jeremiah writes and says, go after the good of your city. The Bible has no trouble stepping into this. And so if God wants to be clear about something, he is pretty clear. I would say the first reason I would say elders, a female elder would not be biblical would be because we don't see any in the New Testament church. Now, every time we see the New Testament church refer to structure and elders, we see them point to men and we see them point to men. What I mean by that is not one guy, but a group of men who are called to this, Titus 1.5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in 
every town as I directed you. So the thought is, wherever there's a church, there's a leadership of the church called eldership, which is not one guy, but a group of men. So that's the example we see in the New Testament. But there's also an explicit expectation. Can I just tell you, this may step on some sensitivities, but I'm just going to read to you the Bible. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Can I tell you that if you put that on your bumper sticker, you can get, you can get away with John 3.16, you can get away with all sorts of stuff. You put that on your bumper sticker, you're going to have a cracked windshield before the end of the week. It's just going to happen, all right? And we live in the South, like, you're going to get keyed and all sorts of stuff the further north you drive. That's just how it's going to play out. But can I just tell you, this is God just being very explicit. And what's ironic is a lot of people would look at this text and they would say, man, the Bible sure is stifling to a woman. Realize this. In the culture that that was written, it was one of the most progressive things that had been said. Let a woman learn. That is completely contrary to the culture that it was written into. That the Bible wants every female in this room to know theology. He wants every female in this room to have systematic theology and biblical theology and a robust gospel tucked into your mind and into your heart and into your being for the things that he is calling you to. Here's what we see in 1 Corinthians 14. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. What an ironic thing that God would tuck the word peace into what is so contentious for us today. But that's what he's shooting for in his household is peace. And here's what he says. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches. This is a universal statement of the saints. The women should keep silent in the churches. Keep that in mind. It doesn't say silent, period. Silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, in just a second, I'm gonna tell you all the ways that we see women lead in scripture because I don't believe the goal of scripture is to stifle women's creativity or their giftedness. I honestly think the goal of scripture is to prop up women and we see this from the very design from the beginning. I'm gonna hit you with a bunch of those, but follow me on this one last argument. We've seen the example in the New Testament. We've seen God be explicit, but consider the original design. If we go all the way back to the garden in Genesis 2, here's what we would read. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Brothers got two jobs, work and keep, all right? Then in comes Eve a few verses later. Then the Lord God said, verse 18, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So the man is called to two jobs. I want you to work. I want you to keep. And then he starts this working, keeping job. And the only thing that God says is not very good in creation is the fact that he is alone. So he goes and makes someone that is suitable for him. And we hit this a couple of weeks ago, that we were designed to be better together than we are apart. And yet, this word keep is massively important. Work and keep, Adam, that's your job. Work and keep. The Bible, when it says keep, it's saying, I want you to watch over something. 
I want you to protect something. I want you to guard something. We see Adam fail in this. But what's amazing is that is the exact same terminology we see of the job that elders are called to. 1 Thessalonians 2.4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. God's word is something that we are supposed to protect. It has been entrusted to us. 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. This is written to an elder in a church. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention. This is Adam's job to keep, to watch. What's he paying attention to? To yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, elders, pastors, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. What's fascinating is this. Adam is called to watch and to keep. Eve is called to come in and support. They sin by doing the exact opposite. And then the curse of that sin is a response to that. Adam is told that thing that you're supposed to watch, work, and keep, the ground is now going to work against you. The woman that I have given you to help is now going to be opposed to you. Her desire is going to be over you. So we see this all tied up. But we also see what women are called to be and to do. In fact, the guy who's leading this church that Paul is writing to, his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, they get high marks in 2 Timothy 1. Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 15. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila, that's a husband and wife, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Apollos was an incredible preacher, but he didn't fully understand the gospel. So what happens is a man and a woman take him to the side, not in front of the church, and they teach him the way of God more fully. We see this explicitly in Titus 2. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. The Bible is calling women to teach. But where? To teach what is good and train the young women in the lives that they are called to live. Deborah was a judge because Barak backed off. Miriam, Moses' sister, was one of the first worship leaders that we see. Lydia was a, a merchant and a business owner who was one of the entrepreneurs of the first church plant that was ever started. And Phoebe in Romans 16 is a deacon that receives incredibly high marks. What we see is women in this structure are lifted up to execute all of their gifts and abilities for the glory of God. And then finally we get to character. Elders display the character of Christ. They're authentic. Now before I move on, can I just say this? I will stay here as long as anybody wants me to, to talk about what I just said. I love God's word. I don't feel like I've got it all figured out. I do study it a lot. Y'all kind of pay me to do that and I really appreciate it. I love my job. But can I just tell you, this is not something that I am going to break Christian fellowship over, but it is something that I think we need to be biblically literate on. So what about character? When I was reading this uh, text this week and I was studying it, here is what stood out to me the most. Go ahead and throw up the musts. If you run any organization, if you've ever led anything, and you say the word must, 
you are immediately making it harder for people to be a part of that thing. Hey, uh, you guys want to join a football team? You must be at practice every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Well, some of you can make it, some of you can't. Hey, do you want to be able to purchase a house without PMI? You must be able to put this much down. All throughout our world are different musts. You want this job? You must get that degree. God tucks in so many musts. Verse 2, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. Verse 4, he must manage his household well. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. I love verse 7. Moreover, as though there weren't already enough musts, he must be well thought of by outsiders. God and his word are willing to die on this hill. Those who are called to lead have a very high expectation of them. And they should. Last week I told you guys you should be very cautious to join a church that has a very simplified or a non-membership process. You need to know what they believe before you hug them and they need to know what you believe before you hop up on stage for them. The same thing is true of leadership. Please find yourself in a church, if it is not this one, that takes seriously the character of men that God calls to lead. And I think there are two ways to do this. I think we are called to model for others and to move toward others. A model and movement, that's what we should see in the men that God calls to elders. To elder, This is who Jesus was. Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 1 Peter 5. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. What is Peter saying here? He's saying, if you're going to lead, what you need to know more than anything else is who Christ is. You need to know why he suffered, what he suffered, who he has suffered for. And he goes on in verse 3 and he says, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. All people in leadership of the church should be good models of this character, but they should also move toward others. First Timothy 3, we see all these characteristics, overseers, above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, but it's not just what's going on on the inside. They're hospitable. These are men who are saying, come into my home. Can I come into yours? They're able to teach, and they do this gently. They're not violent, but gentle being willing to come to those who are broken and who are in need. A buddy of mine sent me a, a video clip and I'm gonna play it for you now as we close out because I think this is the greatest example I have ever seen of what an elder is called to be and do. A little sheep gets caught in a ditch, so the elder pulls it out. And the little sheep goes, right, just let, hey, just let it roll. Just let it roll. Just keep it playing. That's an elder. And I spent way too much time analyzing this video. Way too much time. And please enjoy it. Because as an elder, you want people to enjoy the leadership that God has called you to. But here's what I find fascinating. The elder is the guy who watches that sheep go 20 feet and jump back into the ditch. And you know what he does when he pulls it back out? He says, that was a great 20 feet, little sheep. Wasn't it great when you had your little hooves on the grass? What a great job you did for those 20 feet. He's an encourager. The guy isn't even wearing shoes. Do you see this? 
He's just driving by on his way to the gym. He hadn't even laced up his sneakers yet. And he sees this person that is in need. And he throws it out of gear. He hops out and he wrecks his gym socks just so he can pull the sheep out. Because elders are called to sacrifice. The guy's not complaining about his back aching. It doesn't matter if he pulls up one sheep. And then he goes to another and another. This was the noble task that God has called him to. Because as endless as this job is. So endless is the grace of God. That's the beauty of being an elder. That's the beauty of being led by elders is those who are called to lead you don't mind pulling you out of the ditch and telling you that there is one. All right, you can cut it now. I need y'all for this last sentence before we pray. The reason an elder leads that way is because they know they have not stopped jumping into ditches either. They know that every day the Spirit of God pulls them out of the ditches of their own brokenness. They know that the only strength that they have exists because they were pulled out when they had nothing left. They know that the only light that they see exists because God himself through his Spirit and the work of his Son pulled them out of their own ditch. I am honored to lead this church with Jimmy and with Stokes. But as we move into a season when our building completes in the months ahead, our church is dramatically going to change. And I just want you to know my prayer. My prayer has been that all of the work that has gone into just being able to meet, meeting at a time that is not the best, meeting in a place that is not exactly a great fit for us, and all of the different iterations, going out to the farm, and all of the people who are going to work. This has been my prayer. God, if we get a building and we start just playing church, please don't let me be the pastor of that congregation. What I want us to see, what my desire as your leader is, is to see all the energy that has gone into us just pulling off a church existing, going into being a church in the community, being a church in the neighborhood, being a church to the nations. When all of our energy isn't just trying to make things work, that we become a springboard for missions for every single one of you in this room. But it isn't the job of the elder. It's the job of the elder to point. It's the job of the elder to pray. It's the job of the elder to cast this vision. But all of us have to desire to see the name of Christ known. His gospel preached to the ends of the earth. So pray for us. We've got a few men that we are praying God would be calling into eldership. So that when we move into the next iteration, we have more men who are able to lead and carry the load. Men who are called and competent and full of character.